Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. And I'm Dave Cohen. And today we have a special guest who first joined us on episode 20, all the way back in March 2016, would you believe. He is open-mouthed, I can see him uh, (laughs) in response. He's joined us once since then as well on a bit of a a gang show that we had where we sort of chatted a bunch of us. His name is Mark Evans. Hello, Mark. Hello, James. Hello, Dave. Thank you for having me back. Yes, we did a gang show, a Christmassy one, didn't we? Yes. It was a roundup of the year a few years ago. Mm. Yes. And the reason we've got you back is because your life has become ever more fascinating to us. And really, um, we've, we've talked about that. The restraining order yes, that's does, right. does matter, James. We've talked about that. Seven years ago, we probably talked a little bit about your audio sitcom, your Radio 4 sitcom, Bleak Expectations, a mm-hmm. truly wonderful piece of work. And uh, it also became a book. And we could maybe mention a bit about that because I think that was subsequent to that conversation. Uh, you've also uh, done an audio sitcom for Audible uh, called Raj, yep. uh, or The Raj. Um, and Raj or the Raj? Exclamation mark. I think it's Raj exclamation mark, which is just a working, I sort of put it down as a joke. And I was thinking, what else can we call it? And then Gareth Edwards, my wonderful producer went, oh, I think, do you know what, that's quite nice. So we did. Yeah, so (laughs) there we go. But also, um, Bleak Expectations has found its way onto the West End stage and will be running this summer in London's bright lights of the West End. So we'll get to talk about that. But also, we're kind of rounding up a couple of recent episodes where we talked about audio a bit, so we could talk about Mm. that. But also, staying in the game and uh, keeping going as a writer and not getting particularly cheesed off with the whole thing and going and finding something else to do um, and all that kind of thing. Um, So uh, why don't we talk about that? Because in a way you're, you're, you're still working and you've, you've not really done anything else except write for your career. You haven't, but you know, you haven't gone off and. Can we retake that without the note of incredulity? (laughs) Well, do you know what I mean? In terms of like, but you know a lot of people, you and I. Mark, Mark and I are are actually, uh, we're, recording online as normal but mark and i are actually uh, sitting next to each other there yeah. in lovely north london he's a he's a sort of near neighbor of mine so he's po- popped around popped and around. Uh, lovely and um the the, the the physical and visual uh response to, <laughs> to when you said you're still working <laughs> was quite something <laughs> well, okay, no, but it's, myself sometimes well it's partly because i i still look at myself sometimes and think i can't believe i'm still getting away with it so why don't we just talk a little bit about that because you know we all know people who've packed it in found something else to do decided they'd rather do something else they had a nice time um whatever the reason is do you want us to say a bit about how you've managed to kind of keep going staying in the game and what that's been like for you yeah it's i mean i think i think that's a good question it always it always it does slightly baffle me and the more i go on the more i think this will this will stop soon for various for many different complicated reasons um and funnily enough, although not as a professional writer, I was remarking on the other day that it's very nearly 40 years since I wrote my first sketch, wow. which I did when I was 13 for a school Christmas show at a school where I'd only just gone and I was being a bit bullied and, and it wasn't a very friendly environment. And yet I decided it was good to write and perform a sketch in front of everyone, which yeah. shows a certain sort of commitment to the comedy world and was something I always wanted to do. And it actually went down quite well. Um, did it involve and, uh, eating some cake? There was a sketch about cake at some point, I remember you told me about. Have I misremembered uh, that? 
I cake. I've done. I did. I did a long slow burn joke about cake once, and a player was in as a student where I didn't have much to do in a scene. Uh, I was at the back as a police constable in in Accidental Death of Anarchist, and I said to the director, "Can I do something to be more interesting? Because I'm a bit bored." And you know, I think we could get another joke in. And he said, "Well, well, what?" And I said, "I thought I might very slowly over the course of the whole fifteen minute scene inflate a inflatable shark." And he went, "You're not doing that." I went, "Oh, all right. How about?" Maybe I ate a slice of cake. You went. That's much more reasonable. And he'd fallen into my trap if I'd gone in high and got what I wanted. And, uh, although I still have loved the shark, um, and yeah. I just ate this piece of cake very slowly throughout the thing. And the few lines I had, I'd always make sure I had a mouthful just as I had <laughs> things. And and then the best thing was about quite a long time later, maybe six, eight years later. In London, I bumped into someone who'd been at university with me and saw that show. And they went, oh, do I know you? And we got chatting and he went, oh, yes, I saw you in Accidental Death of an Anarchist those years ago. And he suddenly paused and his eyes went wide. And I thought, what, what's going on? And he went, chocolate cake. And I thought, best <laughs> slow burn joke ever. That he's That's remembered. very pleasing. Um, well, no, so the first sketch I ever wrote was a, a parody of a, a sort of um, cooking show thing, which I remember, which was making this repulsive concoction hmm. and serving it to a teacher. And, um, you know, it was all full of like, you know, sweaty gym socks and cat yeah. food. Uh, but um, we didn't have a tin opener, so I just put the cat food in hole in a tin, I remember, which yeah. actually turned out to be the best joke in it. <laughs> uh, and then feeding him this mad concoction, this very brave teacher. I had a secret glass. I went, here, this stuff's normal. You can drink this, sir. And he just didn't listen and drank the whole glass of repulsive <laughs> stuff. It's like, you really didn't have to, sir. I, I'd done a... Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. And he was pretty horrible to me ever after. Yeah, but I bet the bullies stopped bullying you after that as well. Well, well unfortunately, it was Christmas. And so I had, you know, two, three weeks off and everyone had forgotten that I was the young, funny person. And uh, straight back, it was, you know, business uh, as usual. Being kicked around as usual in the uh, 80s yeah. Yeah. boarding school way. Um, so, yeah, no, that's a long winded way of saying, not just professionally, I've been doing this for a long time and professionally for 26, 27 years, mm. I guess. I've been making a living at it, which, you know, yeah. is is something i think yeah no it definitely is and how how have you gone about you know coping with the ups and the downs because it because actually the ups are almost as hard to cope with as the downs because when it's all going well it's hard not to sort of assume that you can just sort of do anything um and then the downs are like oh it feels like using a cricket metaphor they say you know you couldn't buy a run right now there are times when you literally just can't even get bat on ball yeah um, it does feel like it, i don't know i don't know if you two feel like this but it does feel like sometimes your career is a matter of being in form and i don't mean as a writer just sort of with luck in a way mm -hmm. but uh, the equivalent of a batsman you know accidentally nicking that tremendously great outswinger <laughs> early in the innings mm. Um, is the equivalent of just getting turned down all the time for things. Yet somehow you miss that sometimes and you get away with getting a show commissioned mm, yeah. um, or getting some work. And I mean, for me, the, when you say the good, the good times hard, it, I think as I get older, the good times are tricky because you go, you know, sort of from almost bitter experience that actually those states of those times where work is coming in and it's going well and you're working, they, they do tend to end like a run of form as a cricketer or a sports yeah. person. And, um, and you think, oh, God, what, what if, you know, you're always thinking, what if the next job doesn't turn up? Yeah. Particularly, you, you know, you, you get older and your connections maybe in the industry get more and more spread out or disappear and end. And it's such a weird, almost alchemical thing to, mm, yeah. to piece a career together. And I feel even there've been, I've had probably three big chunks of time where I haven't worked much for 
six months to a year almost at times three mm. three of those where i've been doing stuff but it's not been either paid very well or paid at all uh and you know a couple of those two of those have been in the last decade one of them was three or four years into my career mm. and then a couple were in the yeah within the last decade which makes me think oh maybe those come around more often as you mm. if you sort of haven't got the the golden returning series or something yeah. like that as a writer then you're always looking for the next bit of work whatever that may be mm. and yet i so i had recently i'm trying to think i had a um a pretty ropey 2019 um when not a lot seemed to be happening and then obviously 2020 was a pandemic but suddenly i got the the audible series happened mm-hmm. and i got a script editing show on a uh, a children's TV show called Secret Life of Boys. So mm. suddenly I went from, oh, crikey, next year's looking a bit empty to, oh, next year's very busy. And then there became, <laughs> then the pandemic hit and we were all locked in. And there's mm. homeschooling things like, oh, I really am extremely hectic now. Yeah. Um, but that the year before had been very quiet. Yeah. Um, and it, it's quite, um, it does feel almost, almost random at times. Yeah. It, it sort of yeah. is, no matter how well connected you are or how many jobs you go for how many ideas you put out there there is something intrinsically random i think yeah Yeah, i i I think and if i can just lord it over the the two of you being uh coming close to the retirement uh, age but i've definitely 28 year old dave cohen yeah um actually if you uh, if you could see this you can see that i'm actually uh, i look 20 years younger than uh, mark it really does the, the thing that i found and that that randomness is really interesting i do i i i remember uh, the first series of show that i got on onto uh, uh, first radio series it was a radio one series uh called song lines and and uh, we ended up doing sort of 12 12 episodes of it and it just happened so quickly kind of out of nowhere and and then it was gone as well but all the things that i was working on at the time and i put so much work into i had a sitcom that i was trying to get off that was that went through about 15 stages of an itv and then got rejected and then i had something else and in the time that that sitcom i was writing and got rejected i wrote and recorded two radio series of this show song lines with with some other people and that that came and went and mm. i was still i was still in kind of development hell with the sitcom which was the thing that i was really passionate about and uh didn't happen and it is that, that, that those sort of things do do happen a lot i think yes it's random but also it's kind of being being there being being in the rooms, being mm. around it, really. And I suppose that's how, and that's something that's gone a bit partly because of the pandemic, but also because of cuts anyway. But there aren't as many places that you can just be around where someone will go, oh, yeah, Mark, he's, uh, oh, yeah. He's, he's yeah. Here. Oh. So in the old days, obviously, the BBC was was the big, uh, the only game in town, for example, for radio comedy, at least. And so yeah. you, if you were in there regularly for a particular gig, you might pick up other stuff and chat to producers and everyone was there. And that was the case to some extent. When I, when Richard Hurst and I were in and out of the BBC uh, television for doing Bluestone, for Miranda and then Bluestone, there was an element of like, it felt like we were part of it 
and the mm. other that a place where serendipity or the Lord's providence, as I would call it, uh, would happen. <laughs> but now we're at this situation where th- th- these big players are now smaller and more fragmented, and people are working from home two days a week. Mm. And so rather so, and previously you might have had hat trick and talkback that functioned like big production studios like the BBC. And so again, if you're in hat trick regularly, there'd be four or five other comedy producers there who might toss you work or ask you about something. And the next thing you know, you're working on another show. But now everyone's siloed in these tiny little production companies as a general rule of thumb. You're, it's really hard to get those moments of mm. uh, serendipity where we're kind of we're, we're passing ships and having conversations and just having a chat over the water cooler in the canteen or, or whatever. I think that's why I was, I was talking to a young uh, someone who, who just just left university. And they really want to be in comedy, so I was having a sort of uh, a chat with them the other the other day. Trying uh, to put them off, I hope. Well, <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> funny enough, I do say I do say to people who go, "Oh, my uh, my son is quite interested, or my daughter is quite interested in in acting or comedy." Would you have a word with them? I say, "Okay, which angle do you want me to take? Do you want me to encourage or discourage?" <laughs> is this <laughs> is an intervention? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, I, I like to encourage, but yeah. I was saying to in that you know with the with the fact that there are so many more independent production companies that's good in one way, but bad because the industry is more fragmented, and also that. Now you can live anywhere in the country and you can send a sketch to the BBC and to any of the, you know, the open door shows that may or may not exist. I don't know anymore because I'm terrible. The news jacks last time I remember, which was ages ago. Good thing, you know, accessible yeah. people. Bad thing is when weekending was the way in the standard sort of open door show where you were allowed to submit stuff, you could go in, you sort of had to be in because you had to, you couldn't post your sketches because they it was topical. And they, yes, by the time right. they arrived, it was too late. Yeah. And there would be a meeting for all the non-commissioned writers. You could turn up and then you could get feedback on your material from the producer. I'm sure the producers hated it, but they did also discover writers from it and relationships. And, yeah. and I certainly picked up my first few commissioned minutes as a writer, not on weekending, but from people who liked my stuff and went, I've got this other thing. Would you like a two minute commission? Yeah, tiny. That's nothing, but it, it's a real foothold, and yeah. it, that starts leading to things. And so it means you get a BBC pass, and you can walk in, and you don't need a reason to be there. Yeah, but uh, but but you know the the flip side of that was I had to move to London to do that. Yeah. Now you can do it by emailing in, but then you haven't got that connection. So it's the world. Yeah. The world evolves, and it's both better and worse. Is my attitude. Yes. I don't want to be an old man and go. It's all worse because it really isn't. But well, yeah, so it's probably better in the sense of it's easier to get a credit and actually to regularly get a credit on an open door policy show like DMs are open or whatever. But what you do next is actually the hard bit because mm. everyone's so fragmented. Whereas previously it might have been harder to get stuff on, but once you got stuff on, it felt like you got a little bit further, a little bit faster, and you you sort of graduated through uh, the school of non-commissioned to being commissioned to then being one of two writers on a panel game and then you get a sitcom commissioned and you know all that all that kind of stuff and that that that's what say that pathway doesn't exist anymore but it's just the nature of it is is very very different isn't it i don't know if i'm completely right about this but i did check once i just think the bbc made much more comedy 30 Mm. years ago when i was Mm. starting off radio 4 had you know double the amount of comedy or maybe even more actually and that meant they needed a lot more writers, whereas now there are still lots of returning series that have been going for decades almost. Mm. Uh, fewer new stuff, and a lot of it, they're very keen on the sort of uh, the authored piece by someone in their, you know, their first experience. So it's a very personal show. Whereas there used to be a lot more sketch shows and stuff 
there'll be two or three of those on a week, I think, on the BBC in different forms. And that's where I got my break, not just weekending, but uh, other shows that were often done by young, less yeah. well-known comedians on their way up who were doing a sketch show, and you get a commission, you go and do that. And now that just doesn't exist. What can you do? You can still chip in gags on the odd panel show, but mostly it's the news quiz and the other stuff is not as open yeah. to new writers. Uh you they, know, and it's it's a tricky world. They, they have been listening, and they are bringing back sketch shows now. There are more. Yeah. There's uh, Bill Dare's uh, sketch show, "Please Use Other Door," which is which has been which won an award recently. So well, Bill, Bill's on. always been a very good pusher yeah. of the sketch mm. show in that sort of mm. sketchy format, which I think is great. Yeah. And particularly on radio, they can afford to do it. TV, yeah. of course, it's That's the problem. It's TV. extremely expensive, isn't it, to yeah. to set yeah. up twelve different sets and costumes for a sketch show half hour when you could just yeah, do. Yeah three for a sitcom and it is all about money whereas radio you really can do anything yeah. still yeah no i think that's for that that that's really it isn't it it's the, the just, just the locations for the sketch show. i mean if you could make a sketch show that was sort of like the uh, the sketch show equivalent of live at the apollo so you don't you you kind of have the illusion of it being somebody's kitchen or whatever rather than having to have the 12 sets of things yeah i mean i think they have tried that on itv2 that sort of thing yeah kind of the sort of stand-up sketch show haven't yeah they, and stuff yeah like that. but it is it is yeah. tricky but i mean it's interesting i think to cut i mean i i was just thinking about well the, the show that we're, we're kind of mostly going to talk about uh today which um i i, I was remembering because i bumped into mark the other day with his daughter who's uh 14 and then i remembered afterwards that in fact, the last time that that or oh, not the last time, but I remember seeing you and your wife, and your wife was heavily pregnant. So this would have yeah. been two thousand and eight. Yeah, at the uh, Writers Guild Awards. Oh yeah, and yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Um, and James Corden was hosting. Now that I remember it as Good well, grief, was a, wow. a little known, a little known uh, comedy actor called James Corden was was in this little room Ring, above a pub rings a bell. Yeah. Mm. So you, obviously the show already existed. Mm. Uh, so that was in 2008. So this is, so yeah. we're now kind of cut to 15 years later. Yeah. And it's kind of the same, I guess it's the same or a similar show. And, here, uh, and you know, it hasn't, that, that's maybe the one thing to say is, you know, when a show is good and when it's successful and when it exists and it can carry on existing. And um, I mean, that's kind of, uh, you must have had years of bleak and years of expectation. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to give the audience a bit of um, background. So, Mark, you wrote a sitcom called Bleak Expectations, which ran for five yeah. series uh, against yeah. some of the odds, if we're honest. Um, yes. Uh, from 2007 <laughs> to 2000, it's just, I know the inside history of some yeah. of it. And it's just like, oh, we're not doing any more. Oh, we are doing some more. Oh, thank you. Um, and so it's a very funny show. It's a, it's a sitcom-ish, extraordinary, astonishing, ripping yarn about uh, sort of a Victorian hero called Pitbin. And it ran for uh, five series, finished in 2012. Um, it says here, original release, 25th of December 2012. Yeah, the um, very last episode was on Christmas Day. So it had yes, a which is the perfect time for a Dickensian uh, show yeah. uh, to, to finish. And so 2012, and it's now 2023. Oh, yes. And... Uh, but in 2022, there was a stage version on at the uh, Water Mill Theatre. Yeah. So there's there's been that kind of kind of that ten year period, I guess. When I remember, I remember you saying, "Oh, there's talk of it being a stage thing," and I just thought, I mean, I thought I would totally love that, and no chance. 
<laughs> I just thought it's exactly the kind of thing I would like to go to see. Things like this don't happen. Oh, poor Mark. Oh, oh well. Um, and here it is. Yeah. So, do you want to say a little bit about how how it's gone from radio to stage and what you've had to keep hold of, what you've had to let go of? Yeah. What that journey's been? Well, first of all, there's always there's always the bit of me that thinks, oh no, I, I've done this as a radio show. I wrote it as a book. Now I'm doing it as a. I feel a bit dirty for milking the same material over and over but i think sometimes if you you know i don't want to say it's my one good idea because i pitch plenty of things and i've got loads of ideas i want to do but um you know i was very lucky i got a, a sitcom on like you say against the odds actually it was against the odds it ever got on the first place and then it ever got five series for you know many complicated bbc reasons um and we tried to get it on the TV, and that failed for other complicated BBC reasons. Um, well, I mean, it didn't fail. I mean, it was on TV. Well, no, it, it wasn't. It? No, it wasn't on TV. I mean, huh? it really wasn't on TV because legally, it's what was on TV was a show called Bleak Old Shop of Stuff, which was, uh, I suppose, you could say it's set in the same world as in the nineteenth-century Dickensian thing. <clears> but it's. <laughs> To be technical about it, it's a totally different format agreement because I wanted to reserve the stage rights for Bleak Expectations mm. and didn't want the BBC to be able to interfere in any way whatsoever <laughs> um, because I was always very aware that I wanted to do Bleak Expectations on TV. And the reason we did a different show is because the excellent Gareth Edwards, who was my producer for all those series, and I, uh, we actually wrote, I actually wrote two scripts for bleak expectations on the TV, um, which were very different. Um, I think one of the most um, pleasing comments I ever had was Paul Mayhew Archer, the legendary writer and mm. sometime radio executive and all that sort of thing, who's a lovely, lovely man and also really knows who he's on about, um, I say, because he's about to give me a compliment. So of course he knows <laughs> who he's on about. We, yeah. love, um, we love Paul. Paul is yeah. great. And um, But when he read those two scripts, he went, if I didn't know this was a radio series, I'd never have guessed from these scripts. They're so visual and purely tele, you know, telly thing. But yeah. that's because originally the idea for Bleak Extations was, what about a costume drama on the telly? But silly. I just love the idea of all the production mm. values, but it's ridiculous. And I think the image I always had in mind was a long tracking shot following two people talking. And it's just that there's a long wall that gets in the way of the camera and the people and yeah. tracking and tracking until you come up to the end of the conversation. I go, and that was the sort of first image I seem to remember having and going, God, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? And then, but then it became a radio show because, of course, that's cheaper and easier. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was a great compliment, Paul. But what we did, it nearly got on, but people at the BBC said, um, oh, we like this, but we'd have to make a pilot, and we can't afford to do that because British TV very rarely yeah. affords to make pilots. And so we don't think we'll go for it. And Gareth said, why don't we do you know, what the Americans would call a backdoor pilot? So it's like a pilot, but it's not. And he said, why don't we do a Christmas special? that's utterly different characters. It'll be a one-off, one-hour thing. I think we can sell that because they'll pay for that as a pilot because it's not, it's a special thing. We can, you know, star cast it up the wazoo, as it were, and see if we can do that. So we did that, got a script commissioned. And they went, oh, we really like this script. So we'd really like to spin off a little series off the back of it. Can you write three episodes of, uh, of that? And Gareth and I went, of Bleak Expectations, you mean? Because this is not Bleak Expectations, but introducing you to that, to that sort of world. And they went, no, no, it's got to be spun off from that Christmas special. And it's like, right, so I've got to invent a whole new sitcom. Oh, without any, oh, this is hard. And 
that was the story behind that. And mm. we actually got a second series commissioned that then got decommissioned <laughs> because of some political wrangling, which was one of the harder things I've had to deal with in my career. Yeah, uh, It was greenlit. Everyone was in pre-production. It just got stopped in its tracks. I mean, that could really knock you for six, though. I mean, that is like... Yeah. To have that taken away... I mean, uh, Stuart Lee speaks about this uh, very viscerally on his uh, comedy product or whatever, where he talks about having a series commissioned and then it got taken away. And he's, you know, he's really articulate in how it's just like, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to take this thing that you really care about and we're just going to smash it. We're just going to absolutely smash it to bits. You know, how, how, how about that? Yeah. And it's like, you know, his heart was absolutely ripped out of him uh, for that. So, you know, to have this one big thing, you know, it's like you're on the bench to play for England and they say, oh, right, you're up. And it's like, oh, oh, no, you're not. Go and go and sit down. I mean, that's like... Well, I, um, I actually do have a sporting equivalent that happened to me when I was uh, 11. I was picked for Shropshire Schools Under 11 team. <laughs> and uh, then I got then my, then my school got the call saying, actually, no, we've discovered it's not an under 11 fixture. It's an under 11 and a half fixture, which was a thing back then. And they went, and there's a left arm spinner who's six months older than him, who's better than him. So we're going to pick him instead. <laughs> It's like, wow. it's like I never got oh. to play for Shropshire. It was really weird. You're like a little Dickensian boy. <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, I've, always, I've, I've always remembered that because if the age of 11, I remember thinking, I think that's quite funny. Mm, this will yeah. probably make a good story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, but it, was, it was really hard getting it because the BBC had sort of asked us to move goalposts and goalposts mm. and goalposts. And Gareth and I kept building beautiful sets of goalposts. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just went, oh, no, we don't want that. And you go, oh, my original goalposts are way in the distance. And my lovely show is not going to happen there. Um, but all the way through doing that, like I said, I did make sure I kept that as a very separate format because mm. right from the first series of Bleak Expectations, because we did it in front of a live audience, and I do love a live audience sitcom, mm. I thought, well, my goodness me, people love this in person. Yeah. I wonder if we could do something with that. Surely this would make a great play. And funnily enough, a, a friend of mine who's now one of the producers on the play, a chap called David Wollstonecroft, who uh, listeners might know as the creator of Spooks, uh, wow. legendary spy series of BBC One. Uh, so he's a, an extremely you know, uh, highly regarded drama writer, uh, but he's a friend of mine as well. Um, the two are not mutually exclusive, but it's, <laughs> somehow he's my friend, but also a really high, highly rated drama writer. Um, and he took me for lunch. So I wanted to meet him for lunch to discuss something. And I thought, oh, I wonder what he's going to suggest. He said, do you know what? I think Bleak Expression make a really good play. And I went, oh, yeah, I, I, think, I think that too. I think that too. So we did a handshake deal that he said, look, I'll produce it one day. We'll just keep pushing forward on this maybe. Mm -hmm. And then oddly, someone else had the same idea, which was Graham Garden um, and John Naismith, who runs a production company with, um, you know, again, legendary producer radio sorry, producer. Clue. Yeah. yeah. And they had a, a production company. They got in touch to say, we think Bleaker Station would make an excellent play. Um, would you like to do that with us? Um, and I thought, yeah, I really would because Graham Garden's one of my comedy heroes and I really like John. He's very good and switched on, knows what he's doing. But I had this handshake deal with Dave and I said, and I said well, I'd need to do it as a co-production. They went, we can't really make that work. And I said, and also my agent at the time said, look, we've got a chance of getting Bleak Expectations on the telly. That would mm. make it a much bigger prospect as a play. Let's let's hold off. And so we didn't. And then it, it just took, it was always in the back of my mind with David, but I was busy, lots of other stuff. It turns out it takes quite a long time to sit down and write a whole play. Mm. <laughs> and I can't remember the first draft of this came out, probably about 2015, actually. So a couple of years after it had finished. Uh, and I just did various drafts until about, 
or never quite finished a draft properly because I didn't quite know what to do with it. Mm. And in 2017, I thought I came back off holiday in the summer and went, do you know what, this autumn, I actually, I'm a bit clear. I'm going to give a whole couple of months. I'm going to write a draft of this. And that very day, I remember David called me from America where he now lives. And he went, do you know what, I've just uh, realized I've got a really good connection with an old producer friend who's gone to be general manager of a company that happens to have a play a theatrical department. And I went, right, that's yeah, because it was literally this morning. I went, this is my next project. This one. Huh. And so we talked to them. I wrote a draft and we did, when did we do a read through of it originally? We got some action. We did a read through in 2018. Wow. Speedy then. Uh, Only five years ago. So then we got a slot at the watermill for, I think it was February, 2021. And a small thing of a global pandemic. Yes. Took that out and kicked that it was a, That was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Uh, so then they pushed it back to May uh, this last year, 2022. So we did that. And then there was always talk about, there was always the idea that we have of this. It's it's one of the things I've kept from the radio shows having the narrator. It's the older version of the hero, Pip Bin. Yeah. Now Philip Bin, grand old man, narrating his life story. So we kept that because right back when it we, the thought was do you know what you could give a celebrity a book to do that narration and you could rotate quite famous actors around every now and then because they're not available for whole runs but they might yeah. be available for a few weeks at the time so that had come up but then someone at the production company the theater producer went we could do it every week that'd be a brilliant selling point and they had that sort of idea separately hmm. That became the thing to leverage us, leverage us, which way is it pronounced? I don't know. Yeah. Into the West End because it's very hard to, you know, you need either quite high level pre existing IP, which a Radio 4 sitcom isn't actually. No. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's not like bleak expectations on the radio is not the same as ABBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For example, it really isn't. Um, yeah. And, um, but the celebrity casting angle was a really useful tools to it and we approached theatres and a couple were interested and the criterion said we're interested can you get some of these names to sign up in advance you know the palaver these things are it's mm. that sort of chicken egg situation of oh if you can get a celebrity attached we'll yeah. make your thing happens mm. in tv it's... and film all the time and you go great okay hello celebrity will you do this thing well only if it's greenlit but it won't be greenlit without you attaching well i can't be attached to it it's greenlit yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. everyone's heads explodes in a philosophical nuclear missile because everyone's trying to wait to you know it's, it's probably easier to launch a nuclear missile because you've got because you've got nine keys you have to turn simultaneously rather than two. Yeah, I, I assume that's how they launch nuclear missiles, and that it is exactly as it was portrayed in the television in the seventies. I, I, yeah. I, I assume the technology. Hasn't it's been exactly in, in the film Crimson Tide. It's exactly that. They're all yeah. sort of shouting about you know set, sets. You know what is it? Set condition one SQ, and yeah. you know you get a, a very near, nervous Viggo Mortensen trying to turn keys, or yeah. wondering whether he should in the wet in the weapons room playing a character. Oh, was that Wits. a young Viggo Mortensen? Yeah. Oh, blimey, he's wet. <laughs> the weapon <laughs> system uh, officer. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about this, Dave. Sorry, to sorry. Sorry. Uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt this discussion about uh, nuclear. Uh, I actually know <laughs> an unnecessary amount you, about this sort of doing, thing. Oh, I, I know your uh, your uh, <laughs> military knowledge is uh, second to none. In fact, uh, we should get Al Murray here now. And this be talking yeah, about we should. World War II, I think. Yeah. But um, I would have thought it was relatively slightly more straightforward to say, uh, here, celebrity, how do you fancy uh, four weeks in the West End? You don't have to learn the lines. It's going to be, and, and yeah. you know, and you get your name up in lights. So it's sort of almost the equivalent of the 
doing a radio show where you just turn up for half a day yes. and you get a series. So. I, think, I think in a way, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say it was as easy as all that. And certainly Dom, the associate producer at Anthology and producers who, one of the producers who had to do it, would probably, if he hears this, will probably now be tearing his hair out going, yeah. it wasn't What's that left easy. It, it yeah. wasn't that easy. Uh, but luckily he's a very charming, mildly threatening man. So he, he would have sorted <laughs> yeah. it fine. Um, uh, but... Um, yeah, I think that is a good thing. And, and oddly, it turns out there are, you know, a lot of the people who approached and went, oh, I know that show and I like it. And they'd heard it on the radio. And that's actually yeah. quite useful. And that certainly, I think, helped with some, mm. some of the the comedy people and, and, yeah. and people in general. A lot of people had actually heard it. But it, it still is, it's yeah. baffling and surreal to me that we, you know, closed at the beginning of July last year. And by Christmas, it was like, uh, so we'll be opening in the West End, uh, you know, previews May 3rd, press night May. It's like, what now? How did that happen? That's, I mean, that what? Yeah. That's not possible. How much, how much work have you had to do on the script since the water mill run? Well, there's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> well, let, let's just back up by then. the sound of it. If, um, so let's, let's, can I just um, get a question before that then? Yes. Which is, do you want to say a little bit about being a writer when your show is in rehearsals, as it were, for, for, for at the water mill, because yeah. we may have talked, I've written a bit and talked a bit about what it's like to be a writer on a set of a TV show, yeah. which is, uh, they'd rather you weren't there. And um, if you are there, please don't say anything. And if you do say anything, say it to the producer who will be sure not to pass it on to the director because the director's terribly busy. Um, so, uh, yes, but I actually, was there on set with you for Bluestone. I remember that happening. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but but in you know in, in, on a good day, it's a collaborative experience. But yeah. overall, they've got to film eight pages. It's got to be today. So unless you've got a really big problem with it, just let it go. Or if there is a problem that they're now shooting in the wrong direction and uh, something's now not going to make sense or something like that, you, you could intervene and just say, by the way, this isn't going to mm. match this other stuff that you're doing in three days' time. So I just need, you need to know that. Because you're the only person with the whole series in your head, whereas the director exactly, yeah. is trying to get eight pages shot today with these actors. And the AD is trying to make sure that the whole thing is keeping going. And the producer is dealing with a whole load of other things. So there's that. But when it comes to rehearsing a play, like a TV sitcom is rehearsed for three days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe four with a bit of tech stuff as well. But a play is like, wow, they're just going to keep rehearsing this, are they? Yeah. What what happens? Well, it, it's interesting because I sort of assumed, I, <laughs> based on sort of limited, limited knowledge, but having read about Tom Stoppard in rehearsals, he sets a little table up and sits there in a neat suit with his excellent Czech, slightly Czech accent, yeah. being quiet and occasionally chipping in or being asked a question. I thought, well, that's what I'll do. And I thought, I'll probably wear a suit. I might even adopt the Czech accent because I love Tom Stoppard. <laughs> I'll be like that. And then it turned out at the Waterman, we had like three weeks to rehearse, which like you say, it sounds ridiculous length of time. But that's not long, though. Three actually, weeks for that. Compared to, a, compared to a sitcom recording. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you know, it's the equivalent of four sitcoms back to back a two hour play, isn't it? So, you know, that's 12, 12 days, days yeah. plus other complicated facts. So we really didn't have much time. And the director, I think, quite rightly in the end, went, I just need to get through it. And I don't want you in there getting in the way. And I don't think I would have been in the way. I was actually also quite busy doing some other stuff at the time. So it was good. But um, I felt. For me, I really want to be in there because I spend so much time alone with my laptop mm. that I just wanted to hang out and have fun and be collaborative and creative. <laughs> um, and yet, 
And be with the good-looking people, because that's what actors are. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, but I, I can see the, like in TV, it's we need to get this done, and we don't want any interfe- anyone interfering. Yeah. And I don't think I'd have interfered, because I, I like what everyone did. But I do understand the thing of, and what we did actually in the end was, um, they do a couple of days, and at the end of the couple of days, I'd go in and say, uh, you know, or, and have a chat with the director about what they were working on, if there was a problem, hmm. um, stuff like that. I mean... I, I like to think there wasn't going to be a problem because I, I wrote a good script. Yeah. And if we'd had more time, I think the issue was when we got to the tech, I went down and did more of that because I think then you do need a bit of creative uh, input from the writer. Everyone's got to be on the same page with, you know, hmm. I think that was helpful. But also it meant we had to rewrite some bits that weren't working. And there was a bit of it went, but if I'd been rehearsed, we could have fixed that earlier. And now we'd be rewriting other bits to make it even better. But it's all compromises and trade-offs in these yeah. things, as you know. And actually, it was a lot of fun going down and going, well, that bit's not working, isn't it? Let's sit around the table in the bar and I go, what about this? We do that. And everyone, oh, yeah, that, that. You know, and everyone would chip in and I, you know, pretend okay. I was listening and ignore them because I'm a control freak writer. Uh, but no, everyone was very helpful. You know, I think it's a really interesting question because there's a part of me that would love to be in there every moment. But I can also see the fact that it might be intimidating because actors might want to try something that's a bit weird and they're worried that I'll go, what are you doing to my lovely play? <laughs> Yeah. I, I could see how, and I, I can understand, although I've been in a similar situation to you, James, of, uh, yeah, writer, get out of the way, please. Because um, you've got those you've got those extra layers. You're not just rehearsing it. You're then shooting it on the day. And then your job is done technically as director almost, or, or your next job is in collaboration with the editor. So there are more levels of production. Whereas for the theatre, you are just going from rehearsing to the audience so it's it's like there's one there's one less barrier so it sort of feels like the writer should be more should should, should be more present I, I don't know but um well i think it's, it's interesting because we did a read through yesterday actually of the new script and i'll tell you about the rewrites in a minute but yeah. um it went very well but there were two or three bits where went, nah, that's wrong that, that doesn't need to be in there and i think i've got a lot of experience writing 19th century comedy weirdly <laughs> obviously and it feels like when I first started doing the play, I was less in control. When it came to the radio series, I remember writing the fifth radio series, which it's one of the few times in my life I ever gone, I can, I can do this. This is my, It's going to be hard because it's hard to get these things right. Hmm. But I sort of felt like it was the first time I'd ever done any writing. This is just objectively correct. This is right. right. I know these characters. I'm good at writing jokes for them. The plots all work. Yeah, people might not agree with it. But if they don't, I don't think that's actually my fault this time. I, I am very pleased with this on an intellectual basis. This is a good script. And I could do that for every single one of those episodes. I mean, I won't go back and look at them in case I disagree with myself and start rewriting myself in a mad yeah. way <laughs> 10 years on. And it, it was interesting because with the play, I felt like, ah, I'm not quite as in control of this material again because it's changed, the story's changed. And yeah. We do it. Whereas actually now after the many drafts and we've done it once and now we've done it again, I do feel like I'm at that stage again where I just go, I could listen to it in the reader and go, oh, that bit doesn't work. We need to get rid of that. And that's it. And we're fine. Yeah. Obviously, I'm about to get some more notes, uh, which yeah. I will probably disagree with. Um, yeah. But I do feel very in control of it. And so I don't mind. And also, I work with the director now and a couple of those actors are in the show who were in it before. So I, I have great faith in people who are on the same creative page as me. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's very useful. Hmm. Uh, and it, it lets them get on with stuff. 
And, you know, I think I said there's one sequence where I've come up with something that's quite physical and slapsticky. And I said, I'd really like to be there when you rehearse that because I've put down a version of it and there could be nine different versions of this. We don't know what's going to work best. And I said, well, actually, we want to work on it. It takes a long time to build that sort of thing. Uh, so maybe we'll work on our version and then get you in to show it you. So I guess this takes us on to notes as well. And as a TV writer and a radio writer, you'll have had batteries of notes in the past. Um, I don't know. Is that the is that the collective noun for notes? Batteries of notes, battering, a battering, yeah, battering. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, what's it been like uh, on uh, on the stage? It's interesting because when we were at the Watermill, it felt more like doing a radio show in that it was relatively low key, and therefore people had a few thoughts, but it was mostly left up to me and the director. Mm. And as soon as we moved to West End, it's a big commercial thing, and as more money is required on anything, the yeah. amount of money invested in something means the amount of oversight goes up hmm. yeah. and the amount of voices saying we think this and that. And um, but presumably also there's the, they, they're thinking about not just people who might like the show or the name or the, the, the big name person, but also the American tourists who might not get the nuance yeah i i think it's i mean i think it's yeah it's you've got to appeal to a broad audience and i completely understand that and lots of the notes and reducers are all about that and um you know i think in that shorthand way you get in tv of can it be more like you know the office or gavin and stacy or whatever the big thing at the time like you know think about you know make it a bit more like the play that goes wrong or you know or, or other big comedy hits that we've had in the West End in the last yeah. few years. And you go, that, that's all well and good, but that's its own thing in and of itself. Yeah. And so is my show. I can't really do that. If you start doing that, then you just become a ripoff of that. Um, yeah. uh, it's it's quite... this idea of them uh, saying to Shakespeare, yeah, can you make it a bit more Marlowe? Yeah. Make it a bit more Edward II? But it's... Mean? Well, yeah. And I mean, one of, the, one of the producers worked on actually a Tom Stoppard play, the Leopoldstadt, which is the oh, last right. play I saw before I lockdown saw and the pandemic, which Great I thought show. was excellent. Great but problem. I do wonder whether the yeah. notes came in going, have you seen the play that goes wrong, Tom? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but but of course you read between could you the make lines it a bit less those. like leopold stats yes. would that be okay it's a bit yeah. wordy tom yeah. um yeah. but you but you read between the lines on the notes and what i don't think they mean that what they mean is look at the response the audience has to that we need something big and crowd pleasing yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's it's shorthand coming from people who speak slightly different languages and yeah. and that is fine and you know you should know that and and i should have known that coming from tv and stuff that you know that that that's Again, once, and I had to go away and think quite hard about interpreting it. And I think I've addressed those notes in a way that has made the show bigger. It has to be bigger. It has to be a bit more in your face. And, you know, a yeah, lot and of also, notes... and because people are ponying up 40, 50, 60 yeah, quid yeah, I um, agree. for a night out. Yeah. So they're going to want to see something special. Um, yeah. They get the, you know, so I think it's that going, I mean, I know, you know, you've done. You've done comedy live comedy shows. You've you've eaten cake for laughs, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so and I guess and the, I think... the, the different dynamic is also really interesting to me because I think the business is quite interesting because with TV, a sitcom costs what a sitcom costs, and then they broadcast it, and that's sort of it. Yeah. And even on ITV, it's very different. There's the annual figures. There's the three year performance. There's the five year performance, and all that kind of stuff. It's like yeah. we we have to sell seventy five percent of these seats via these yeah. eight different markets 
and so therefore it's like or, or we lose our shirts on this yeah, no and i completely understand that it must be very worrying because yeah you know, if, if the show doesn't make enough money it's the producers have to pay for that it's yeah. not the investors who put the money in the front you know that's it's 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 brutal and you know the producers who get the investors in that's why they get a slice of the profits yeah the investors don't get all the profits they the producer gets a slice of it because if it goes wrong they're on the hook for a lot of money so i completely understand giving notes and being concerned and it's just a matter of trying to interpret those in the way that works for your show the show that goes wrong no no it can't go wrong like that no 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 it has to make money (laughs) yeah it's never yes but it's it's and it's the same as in tv sometimes you you have to think round the note and go how do i answer this in a way in that i give them an answer that isn't what they maybe thought they're expecting it makes them go oh yes no that is what i wanted yeah. In a way. And isn't it also the equivalent of um, we what we want? We don't know exactly what we want, but we just know that it's something that makes yeah. the audience laugh in a way like they laughed and the play goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, so, it, it, which which there is always the TV equivalent of that. It's just mm. you know, it's just not quite as funny as when Ricky Gervais did it with his tie in the office. Can we have? Can we have? That's what we want, but yeah. not Ricky Gervais and not the tie. And I think I think you know, falling the, through the bar. Yeah. And I think, but I, I just had to think, what's a big fast game that I'm really happy with? And so, for example, there's a sequence when the hero Pip arrives at the boarding school and he meets a teacher who pretends to be nice and then is horrible to him, absolutely vicious, and beats him. And actually, it was a bit traumatic for the audience. It never got quite the laughs I felt it should have done. Um, but I thought, what do we do with this? How do we make this a bit less frightening and a bit funnier and also farcical? And so I added the bit that he goes, right, bend over, boy, you're going to be beaten. Now he goes, and he goes, blindfold on or blindfold off. And the boy reaches his hand out and goes, blindfold, please, sir. And he goes, oh, the blindfold's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have a blindfolded headmaster trying to beat a boy when he can't see anything. And it, that line got a big laugh in the read thrust. And I went, yeah, good, because that, and that's, you know, the sequence will work. <laughs> the blindfold. <laughs> That will be a lovely, hopefully, two-minute, you know, yeah. big sequence of something that people will love. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's it's things like that. And I think, you know, hopefully that answers my producer's notes in a way that they go, oh, we weren't expecting that. We thought something more like that. But that's great. We like that. I don't know. You know, it's it's all it's all tricky. And like many of these things, they're often very busy because they're running multiple shows. Yeah. They're quite important people. And you go, well, could I just sit down in a room and we can spend a nice day discussing? It's like, well, no, because this one's in Australia. That one's in Toronto overseeing the over there. Oh, fine, 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 yeah. fine. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> With you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, they're, they're all, you know, they're all very nice. And it, well, though, of course, notes have driven me mad because they they do tend to drive writers mad. And there's a bit of this case, doesn't it get any easier? Doesn't it? Why, why must this keep happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love the fact that you've just teased us with a truly wonderful joke that I'm already excited about going to see. I'm definitely I'm pleased you like that. I think that's and fun. Take my, and, and take my kids with me. Will it be okay? Oh, it's definitely a child-friendly show. Yeah. I know loads of loads of kids of uh, 10 and up who came to see the show and loved it because it's okay. just silly. Yeah. Also, that's the main thing. You don't need to know anything about Charles Dickens. No. You just need to know it's a really silly show about a bunch of yeah. people who have a lovely life that goes horribly wrong in a Dickensian way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so, it ends in uh, death and horror. Oh no, it ends with a happy ending. Happy ending. Sorry. Of course it does. It's because it's the West End. It's not really Dickens. So it's, also, it's um, me. I don't like a gloomy ending. No. I like a no, happy it's ending. Not- so if you Google Bleak Expectations West End or Criterion or whatever, you can buy yeah. tickets wherever you can buy. Yes, yeah, there is a website, and on the ticket, mm. it's bleakexpectations.com actually, and I think um, you yeah. can book tickets. And each week on the thing has the 
celebrity who's doing the narration being sir philip being the guest narrator right uh, are you allowed to, to tell us any of the yeah no they're, they're all up on there i can't actually remember uh, no, I can't. no, I know for previews, we're starting with Nina Wadia, who's excellent. And yeah, you know, I'd right. love to see her being split. And we've got people like Sally Phillips, um, Jack D's doing a week. And actually he came to the read through yesterday. And, uh, um, you know, that I, I just, you know, that's just amazing of him to come and do that and yeah. just to check it out. He knows a thing or two about comedy. Yeah. Ben, um, ben Miller. Um, oh, great. You know, Stephen Fry's oh, doing a week for goodness sake. Oh, wow. Um, yeah oh and the best person is doing it uh, not the best person but the best person from my tiny point of view is tom allen okay he's got a global comedy megastar now but he played young pip on the radio and he's yeah. now coming back as a superstar to uh, um narrate the show of that he was uh, in as a radio and that that to me is that that's that's the best thing emotionally for me I, yeah. thought you I love all say, the people doing it, but him doing it, just there's such a connection there. It's amazing. I thought you were going to say Jeffrey Boycott or something. Like <laughs> he, he wasn't available. Uh, uh, yes, he's, right. he's holding out for a guest run in Mamma Mia, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Uh, we're going to continue to chat uh, over on our Patreon uh, site, as it were. So if you join us on Patreon, we're going to talk a little bit more. I'd like to talk. return to the theme of how to keep going I'll give the special about, stories <laughs> i think it's all about learning and teaching yourself new stuff so uh, i'll mm. find out whether mark agrees with me um after uh, on the patreon so otherwise thanks very much mark for joining us thank you very thank much you. for having me i'm sorry thanks, Dave. rambled and rambled and rambled i didn't get out much and this is so, lovely <laughs> and don't forget there's a comedy conference coming up in london run by the british comedy guide that is on april the uh 22nd and 23rd the 22nd and then dave's extras on the 23rd so uh, do go and check that out uh, british comedy guide comedy.co.uk is that right yeah yeah that's right yeah and you'll I had a look that. at the conference it looks great lots it of does great look really good but mark will be too busy to be there because he's got a show in the west end oh no Thanks i'll tell you <laughs> speak to you soon cheerio cheers